Church, today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen, amen and amen. Let me, start off with, let me start off this morning with an observation about our culture and our society at large. If there's one thing that our culture is hyper aware of right now, it would be people's pronouns. We want to make sure that we get pronouns right. It's a cardinal sin to misgender someone or to gender someone on their outward appearance. That's our culture. I was getting coffee the other day, and I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm an old boy. I mean, just from my, my observation, this looks like a clear, clear gal. Her name was Sarah. She had long hair, had makeup on, and she had a button on her shirt that said she slash her. And because I want to engage, uh, and she's wearing the button, I said, uh, what's that button mean? And she looks at the button, she looks at me, she looks at the button, looks up at me. And I could tell for a moment, she's trying to do a calculation in her head. Am I dumb or am I a threat? Because I'm one of the two in our culture, I'm one of the two. And I'm just trying to be nice, you know, just keep a nice look at my face. And <laughs> she clearly realizes this guy is not a threat. <laughs> and she says, uh, well, these are my preferred pronouns. I said, oh, okay. You know, I mean, getting coffee, uh, long line, gives me my coffee. And because I had now permission and clarification, I walked out and I said, thanks, ma'am. And walked out and I reflected on how seriously, like, like our culture has chosen that's, that's our thing. Like that's our thing. It's like we want to make sure we get pronouns right. Not based on what we observe about a person, but because of what a person prefers. And when it comes to faith in God, in a sense, we have to go with the pronouns that God has revealed to us. We don't get to call God what we want. He's revealed and shown us who he is. God has revealed himself as our father. And as much as our culture wants to, to, to make God a mother, God has revealed himself as our father. And for a culture that wants to make sure we get pronouns and gender right, then we have to honor God as our father. Sorry, mothers. Happy Mother's Day. But God is our father. And he sent his son, Jesus, born a baby boy, raised as a man. But what about the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity. What's the Holy Spirit's pronouns? Now, I'll be very honest with you here for a moment. Like, one thing that really rubs me the wrong way about Christians is when Christians do this. If you, if you don't come from a faith background, I don't fault you at all, and I'm not mad if you speak like this. But for Christians, I get, I get really annoyed when we speak about the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not an it. He is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not a mindless, impersonal power. He is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. This is why we reject the theology of the Jehovah Witness who say that the that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but simply an active force in the world. 
We are to have fellowship, meaning a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He works in us to produce the spiritual fruit in our lives. Do you know the spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, control. Amen. He also gives us, for those who believe, spiritual gifts. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift that you are meant to be, use, meant to be using to either build the church or build the kingdom. We are to have fellowship with him as he indwells within us and guides our lives and is our comforter for faith and life. And today we're going to look at when the Holy Spirit descends upon the church, when the Holy Spirit arrives. And for this sermon series, we've been looking at, now that Jesus has risen from the dead, we celebrated it on Easter, our Savior come, he came, lived, died on the cross for our sins, he rose again from the third day, that changes everything. And what now? What now? Well, in this sermon series, we've been looking at the, uh, for lack of a better term, the immediate aftermath of the resurrection as we've looked at Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 for the next couple of weeks. So clarification as we read our passage today, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Jesus has lived. He's died on the cross for our sins. He's risen from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. And then he spent 40 days teaching his disciples and showing the world that he had risen from the dead. He continued to proclaim the gospel. He continued to disciple his disciples. He continued to preach the coming of the kingdom of God. And we are to live in the light of the resurrection. And so we're going to see what the disciples faced as they looked at the light of the resurrection. And what, the, what does that mean for us? So, Acts chapter 2. This is where we are. Jesus has told his disciples after 40 days, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And now we get to see the fulfillment of that promise. So would you hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Now when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and let's continue. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, you are the Lord of all the earth. And so we ask by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you'd give us the ears to hear, the mind to know, the heart to receive, and the will to act in light of the resurrection of Jesus, in light of the truth that you've given to us, in light of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen, amen and amen. If I, give you, if I could give you just one main point for you today, we're going to walk through our passage together, but if I could just give it all in one main point, here, here's what it would be. Now that the Spirit has arrived, what now? Well, Christians, we walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So uh, let's get going. Let's look at verse 1. Christians, we. I want you to hold that in, our, in your mind for a moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived. So what's up with Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Why this day in particular? Well, the word Pentecost is the Greek word that means 50. 
Like Pentagon, that governmental building that has five sides, Pentecost means 50. Pentecost is the Greek name for the Jewish festival that happened 50 days after Passover. In the Old Testament, they called it the Feast of Weeks. And when Jesus rose from the dead, again, for 40 days, he continued to show that he was alive. He continued to teach about the kingdom. But he also told his disciples to wait. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You will, it's like Jesus was saying, you're going to need him to do what I'm calling you to do. And that promise did happen roughly 10 days later, which brings us back to our verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, listen here for a second. This next phrase of this one verse, it seems like a flyover verse, and and, and we could easily pass by it and forget the significance of it here. So here in the chapel, in the lobby, online, don't miss this next phrase. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They all one together. Because Christians in the house, church, you need to understand this. This faith thing that we have, it's not just a me thing. It's a we thing. We do this together. All of us. It takes all of us praying. It takes all of us giving Church, as you do, and I thank you and commend you for that. Thank you for being faithful. It takes all of us praying, all of us giving, all of us serving, all of us learning together, all of us gathering for God's glory in Jesus' name by the Spirit's power. I'm going to say the first part of a phrase, and I want you guys to finish the phrase for me if you you know it. Okay? Ready? Divide and You know, I think that phrase, obviously we all know it, or most of us know it. But I think this phrase is often misunderstood and misapplied. So I think sometimes when we say divide and conquer, what that means is that we divide so that we can conquer more. But that's not the, the origin, that's not the genesis of that phrase. That's not actually what that phrase means. Divide and conquer is a military strategy to defeat your enemy. You conquer your opponent by dividing them. The Oxford Dictionary defines uh, the phrase divide and conquer like this. It's the policy of maintaining control over one's subordinates or opponents by encouraging dissent between them, thereby preventing them from uniting in opposition. Let me read you Webster's. It's a little bit more concise. Webster's definition of divide and conquer. To make a group of people disagree and fight with one another so that they will not join together. Ooh. America, do you have the ears to hear that? Divide and conquer. Church, I'm telling you right now, the devil's first strategy, the devil's first strategy is to make you doubt the word of God. To, to twist what God has said, to misapply it to our lives. The devil's first strategy is to make you question, did God really say? But I'm going to tell you right now, if that's the devil's jab, if that's his first punch, his immediate right hook is divide and conquer. It's to divide the church. So church, hear me on this. If you want to know where Peace Church stands, here you go. 
We stand for truth above all. Because a love that's founded in untruth is a broken love. Truth is where we stand. We stand for truth above all. And church, what this means is that for a lot of us, myself included, this means that we may have to set aside our preferences and prerogatives to maintain unity. And so I got a, I got a sort of a morbid question for you. If you were told, if you were told that tomorrow at 3 p.m. you were going to die, what would you do with the time you had left? What would you do with these next 24-ish hours? Let me ask you this. What, what would you pray for? I think for a lot of us, we, we'd pray to get on the fast track of getting right with God. But I think some of us, we may pray for our spouse. We may pray for our kids. Well, Jesus Christ, the night before he knew he was going to die, we have recorded his final prayer. And I want to read to you a portion of Jesus' final prayer. When Jesus Christ was staring death in the face, what did he pray for? I want to show you. It comes from John chapter 17. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's us. Jesus prayed for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus' great final prayer, when he was looking at death, his prayer was that his people, his followers, his church would be unified. He doesn't pray that they'd be effective in their mission. He prays that we would be one, that we would be completely unified. Jesus prayed for our spiritual unity guided by God's truth and love. So Christians in the house, let me just call out something for a moment. It's becoming very popular, very in vogue among Christians to criticize, demean, and point out the flaws of the church. Christians, my brothers and sisters, if you're doing that, you must stop. You must stop this. Stop sympathizing with this sentiment. You need to defend the church. I've never known a person come to Christ because another Christian agreed with them about how terrible the church was. I'm not saying that we defend or minimize it when people have been hurt. Not at all. But you need to clarify the difference between the beauty of Jesus' church and how some people within the church may have done harm. We must uphold the beauty of the church. It's Christ's bride. I'll tell you right now, nobody speaks negatively about my bride I'm trying to think of a nice way to end that sentence. <laughs> it won't go well for them. And I imagine Jesus probably feels the same way about his bride. 
If you've been hurt by people in the church, then talk to the pastors or the elders and let us pray for you and let us show you something better. Church, you need to hear me on this. If we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it is not going to happen through a cynical people who won't take a stand. It won't happen among people who want to seem relevant in the world by trashing the church. The power of God will descend upon the church, a church that is unified by his word and his love and who seek to do his will in this world even when it's unpopular. That's when we see the Spirit move. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together, all together, in one place. You know, I think about this passage here, and I, and I think about if that was written today, like in our day and age, I wonder, how, I wonder what they would say. Like, what, what would be the context for our, our day and age? And I, I think it would probably read something like this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, most of them were together, but some were too tired from the school dance the night before. Some had to work. Some decided to sleep in and just watch online later. Some had a busy week, so they felt okay to miss. Some didn't like the current sermon series the pastor was preaching. Some had to stay home and get lunch ready because family was coming over later. Church, like, they were all together in one place because of course they were. That's what Christians do. We... We put our faith as the primary thing in our lives and everything that we do flows from that. And gathering together is one of the things that Christians do. Now listen, I, I'm saying this on what is arguably our most packed morning. And so hear me on this. Like, you guys are setting the standard. And I'm not speaking just to Peace Church here, but you know this. I'm speaking to the American church and the worldwide church. We are just becoming very lazy about church attendance. We may put it on the calendar, but it doesn't take much for something else to take its place. And I'm telling you, I'm telling the American church, we will not see the Spirit move like he did at Pentecost when that's our mentality. When church just becomes this optional thing, you wonder why the Spirit moved when he did? It's because they were all together in one place. And I get it. Peace Church, like, we are looking at building square footage right now. Clearly we are. It's a thing that leadership's looking at. And I get that all of us were too big as one church for all of us to be in this building at one time. But that doesn't mean we can't all be unified by his truth, his love, and the mission God's placed on this church. Church, God is calling us to great things. And if you can hear my voice, I'm willing to bet he wants you to play a part of that. Are you? Are you? Christians, we walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This passage starts off by saying, Christians, we, because we all need to be together, unified, answering the prayer of Jesus Christ himself. Christians, we walk in the power. We walk in the power. Listen to this next verse. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So I want to see uh, how many people are like me. I don't feel like this is an odd thing, but we're about to find out. It doesn't matter how warm or cold it is outside. It doesn't matter where I am. I 
always need a fan to sleep. Who's with me here? Who, uh, who's like, no way, needs to be dead silent? Anybody? Let me see the fan people again. You know, um, I don't know if it's because I was born during uh, a hot August summer, uh, but I just, I've always had needed a fan to fall asleep. In fact, you know what? I mean, it was the, it was the reason I decided to marry Tiffany, because she needed a fan too. <laughs> kidding. I mean, it was one of the reasons, but it wasn't the top one. I'm the type of guy, like, I want it on full blast, like hurricane mode. My, life, my wife likes it on medium, um, which means we sleep with the fan at medium. <laughs> but I need that fan. Like, I, that's the atmosphere that I need to fall asleep. I need that sound. I need that feeling. I need that rushing wind. I need that to sleep. And you know what? I want that to be a a reminder to me that I need that same experience except from the Holy Spirit, not to sleep, but to live. As I, I'm going to tell you right now, when the power goes out at night and the fan goes off, I wake up. Three o'clock in the morning, dead asleep, but the power goes out, I'm, I'm a wide awake. I want my life to be that dependent upon the Holy Spirit moving that the second he's away from me, I realize it. That I just need his presence, his rushing wind in my life all the time to live and move. That should be all of us. And this sound, it says that the sound was like a mighty rushing wind. Now this, this, this word mighty here is translated from the Greek word bios. And this word bios definitely has the connotation of something like strong and mighty. But there's a connotation to this world that I think mighty doesn't always translate. See, see, um, bios has this connotation of violent. That this was a violent rushing wind. And, and while mighty does demonstrate and give us the idea that this was strong, it was a violent rushing wind. This wasn't just a nice spring thunderstorm. This was a tornado. This wasn't just an F-250. This was a freight train coming through this room. Because the Holy Spirit is not just strong and mighty. The Holy Spirit is powerful. He's not just strong. He's powerful. And I want to live and breathe and operate in that power around me all time. Just as I need the, the, to sleep with the wind of a fan, I want to live in the power of the Spirit's and his presence. We walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our passage closes up by saying, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So it's getting to be springtime. We had a really nice day yesterday. I want you to think for a second because I I want you to tell your neighbor your answer to this in just one minute. When was the last time you sat next to a campfire or a bonfire? Think about it. Tell your neighbor now.
Who's already done it so, this year? This year, 2020. Yeah. 2022, yep. All right, so I mean, we, I think for most of us, we know, we know that scene, right? There's a beautiful fire, and the flames are just going up, and they're kind of like licking up into the air. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you've seen this. Now imagine that for a second. You're on the bonfire, and like that fire is just flickering up into the night sky. And you see those little flames kind of lick up. Now I want you to imagine that, but in reverse. The Holy Spirit divided as tongues of fire. It says as a fire. It doesn't mean it was exactly fire, but it had that kind of glow, sparkle, dazzling, kind of intimidating feel. And tongues of fire appeared and rested on each one of them. It says they were like tongues of fire. And yeah, that word tongue is the same word for that muscle in your mouth, that thing that's normally moist and wet. This is the word that, the, that Luke used to describe this thing of fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. This is the great coming of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of prophecy, especially from the prophecy of Joel, and also the prophecy of Jesus himself, who said this was going to happen. But I think for far too many Christians, we treat the person of the Holy Spirit like our neighbor. We know he's there, or she's there, we may wave every now and again, and we may call upon them, him or her, when we need something like a cup of sugar. But for the most part, they're over there. They're our neighbor. And Christians, you need to understand, like, the Holy Spirit's not meant to live next to you. He's meant to live with you, in you, in your own very house. We are to live with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So here's a question that's often asked about the Holy Spirit. What does it mean, and what about baptism of or in the Holy Spirit? Now, the question people are often asking is, do Christians need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let me just say this. Now, different branches of Christianity are all going to lean into this question differently. But let me tell you what I see in Scripture. First of all, what we see here happen at Pentecost, the, the very scene that we're reading about here with the coming of the Holy Spirit, there are many words and phrases the Bible itself uses to describe this one event that happened. Such as filled, pouring out, come upon, coming upon, receiving, clothed with, and then also baptism. Now, baptism is a Greek word that means submerged or immersed. But at Pentecost, Jesus uses this word beyond its simple Greek meaning to describe what happened with these tongues of fire. This shows us that the New Testament in Jesus uses baptism in a more of a symbolic meaning rather than a covenant, more of a symbolic meaning and a covenantal reference. But I think the question here people ask is, is there a separate baptism for the Holy Spirit other than the covenantal one that we received in Jesus' name? My humble answer is no. And here's why. Let me start off by saying that I think we desperately do need the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
But at the Great Commission, Jesus says to go into the world to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three at once. So in a sense, we do believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe it happens with your baptism, with your covenantal baptism. The notion of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I think, can be misleading in a confusing term. Paul talks about in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians how there is one faith and there is one baptism. But the, the idea and the, and the phrasing of, of a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think this can lead Christians to think that they need another baptism or an extra baptism to experience the Holy Spirit. And some traditions would say, which is only true if it results in speaking in tongues. But I think Scripture is pretty clear on this, that not all Christians will be given the gift of speaking in tongues. I believe we need to be praying for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You, you hear it every single Sunday, the, the person who does the congregational prayer, they'll pray for the, for the preacher to be filled with the Spirit. Whenever we read Scripture, we then pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate in our hearts and our minds the truth of God's Word. We want the Spirit to move. We pray for the Spirit to continue to move. But let me just say this. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. You cannot come to faith in Jesus without the Holy Spirit working in you. If you have faith, that's evident that the Spirit was already working in your life. And when it comes to the notion of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, here's what I'd say about that term. We need to use that term in a larger sense and in tandem with the other phrases that the Bible itself uses about this experience, such as the things that we noted earlier, that we are filled with, that, it, that there's a pouring out, that the Spirit has come upon us, that we receive Him, that we are clothed with. Those are all scriptural terms. That's the sense in which we are to experience the Holy Spirit, his power, and his presence. So what's going on here? I want to read to you what one commentator wrote, because I, I, I like how he can kind of put this in a concise way. This comes from Ben Worthington III in his commentary on Acts of the Apostles. He says, references such as Acts 3 and 5, 755, 1124, and Luke 4, 1, all indicate that a person who has already been filled with the Spirit can receive a fresh filling for some specific task or proclamation. I do believe that we should be praying for the Holy Spirit to give us a special or a renewed filling for people as his people as we face certain callings or obstacles or troubles in our life. When we commission and send out missionaries to the field, we pray that they would be filled with the Spirit to do the work they are called to do. I pray, again, I'll say it again, I pray each week that the message of God, that the Holy Spirit would guard my mouth from untruths and guard your heart from receiving untruths. We do that every single week. So rather than thinking that you don't have the Holy Spirit because you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you that by faith in Jesus, you already have the Holy Spirit. The question is, is do you welcome him and recognize him in your life? Do you avail yourself to the power that is accessible by him to you. Some of us may need to pray that we have a better awareness and experience of the Holy Spirit. I know I most certainly do. There are times where my tongue just loses control and my flesh wants to take over. And those are the times that I've stepped outside the power and presence of the Spirit. 
So when it comes to an experience of the Holy Spirit, here's what I say to you, Christians. The question is not, do you speak in tongues, yes or no? The question is, is are you bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Does your life, is your life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Because I think too many Christians, we walk according to our own strength, forgetting the power of the Spirit that's available to us. Here's another question I'd ask for you Christians. Are you using the gift the Holy Spirit has given you to build the church for the glory of Jesus? Are you praying that the Spirit might help you to know more fully God's truth and God's word? Are you praying that the Spirit would help you love your spouse better or raise your kids with more wisdom and patience? Are you praying that the Holy Spirit would make you a better witness for the gospel? Are you walking by faith or are you walking by sight? Because I'm going to remind us all as we close up here today. Christians, we are to walk in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Church, hear me on this. The world needs to see something different in the church. And hear me on this and hear what I'm saying. The church needs to see more than, than just that we are kind people who will use people's preferred pronouns. The, church, the world needs to see the church operating in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that will only increase the more that we are unified and the more that we are one. We will be more equipped. We will see the Spirit move like he did in days of old when we, in this new generation, set aside things that only hold us back and we embrace the unity that is available to us by God's truth and God's love through what Christ has done for us. And we will see revival in this generation. We will see the Spirit move, but we have to be as one, together, walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit as we live in the light of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, we pray that as you sent your Holy Spirit, that you'd send him again and continue to send him again to fill us again with his power and presence that we might walk at all times according to his leading. Father, I pray that you'd forgive me when I forget this and when I walk according to my own flesh and my own strength and I'm reminded again how weak I am without you. Help us all to walk according to your spirit, the Holy Spirit, as we live in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, just as we were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, so we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as we pray singing together how great thou art. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing together.